0: Got it. Morning, everyone. Isn't the music great? <laughs> Featuring uh, Funk Master Clay on the bass. I mean, it just keeps getting better. It's awesome. My name's Tim. In case you didn't get that, thanks for the for the hype, Danny. Um, uh, Ed's not here, obviously. I think he's actually in the air flying back from California. But but fortunately, we're a church where everybody is in the Bible and in the Word, and and we've got a lot of great uh, guys that can step in and preach when Ed's not around. None of those guys can make it today. Um, But we're uh, we're here, and we're going to continue in our study of Genesis. Um, and we're going to be in chapter 11, verse 1. If you want to start turning there now, we're going to we're going to be talking about the Tower of Babel, right? And that's a that's a that's a that's a story that most people are familiar with, if nothing else, just from like Sunday school lessons, right? I remember as a little boy learning about it and that. The, the, way I, the way I understood it, I don't know if this is what they were trying to teach me, but what I came away with was, you know, these people got together, they built this big tower so they could climb up to heaven and be with God. Uh, and God didn't like that for some reason, and he scattered them. You know, as I, as I read it today and I study it out and, and, and uh, seek to learn more about it, I, I really see that 's not so much what it is it 's more a story about god 's sovereignty, about trust, about obedience, um, and hopefully we can kind of all draw that out today together it 's also I think important to point out as since we 're studying through the book of Genesis that the uh, up to and including the story of the Tower of Babel it's what scholars refer to as the prehistory of the people of Israel. You know, in starting the next story you'll read in the Bible after the Tower of Babel, you meet Abram, who would become Abraham. And you start to get this detailed account, very intimate uh, of, of God's people, his relationship with them and their history. Whereas prior to it, we, we get a genealogy and we get these stories that kind of pop up here and there. Um, a lot of scholars believe that, that, generally speaking, those stories would have come about and happened prior to uh, written language, right? So they, they refer to it as the prehistory. So we're at a very important part in the Bible, right? We're, 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 at, a, we're at sort of a, a crossing over point, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. Come on, Jerry. We'll be in verse 1 of chapter 11. I'll just start reading if you'd like to follow along. <clears throat> it says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. You know, and as a bit of context, this, of course, took, takes place after the flood, which is what I, we, we, we learned about uh, uh, last week the story of Noah. Um, and, it, and it says in verse 2 that they settled on the plain of Shinar. And, and that would have been, geographically speaking, uh, Mesopotamia, the Tigris and the Euphrates, the Fertile Crescent, Babylon, right? And right away, we see kind of a word play Babel. And, and, and Babylon, you know, in Babylonian literature, Babylon or, or Babili w- w- meant gateway to God, right? That, that, that's, that's what they saw this word as. But, but it sounds a lot like the Hebrew word Babel, which means confusion, right? So right away we see a foreshadowing of what Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians 3, that, you know, the, the, the wisdom of man is foolishness in the eyes of God. The great accomplishments of man, uh, his aspirations, his ambitions, it's just nonsense, to God, and especially if it falls outside of the plans of God, right? And, that, and that's what we're going to kind of see through the whole story here. Um, <clears throat> uh, in, uh, in verses 1 through 4, you see the warning signs. You know, you don't even have to get to the end to know it's going to turn out wrong, right? The first thing you see is uh, disobedience. And, and you say, well, well what, disobedient to what? What are you talking about? Well, if you flip the page back in your Bible and you go to Genesis 9.1, Where, where God is making this covenant with Noah after the flood. In verse one, chapter nine, it says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. You know, filling the earth, you know, that that would involve some sort of spreading about, right? The earth's a big place. You don't fill the earth by settling. And that's the first thing that we we learned about the Babylonites. They settled. Right. They said, we're going to kind of hunker down. We're going to kind of make a place for ourselves here. Um, We see them talking amongst themselves, right? You know, let's build, let's make bricks. Let's build a city. Let's make a name for ourselves. You don't get the impression that there was a prophet among them. You don't get the impression that anyone was saying, Hey, didn't Didn't Father Noah say something about filling the earth? You know, shouldn't we kind of reconsider this? They weren't bouncing their ambitions, their aspirations, their dreams. They weren't weren't vetting it at all. They were just kind of hyping themselves up, right? To do what? To make a name for themselves. What could possibly go wrong, right, when you set out to make a name for yourself? Only blessings are going to follow with that, right? No, of course not. That's arrogance. It, it, It angers God, right? So what do they do? They build a city with a tower, it says. You know, cities in ancient times, you would build a city for protection, to, to, to fortify, to put up walls, um, to, uh, to, to create comforts. You know, you'd get irrigation. You, you would have the, 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 uh, the, the, the convenience and comfort of, of civilization in a city. It, w- it would have been very comforting for them to do that. And it says that they build a tower. And if you know your sort of cultural geographic history of the area. In Mesopotamia, they had these things called ziggurats, and you've probably heard about them and learned about them. You can see pictures of ruins on, on, on the internet. And, and these would have been built in uh, the first, second, maybe even as early as the third millennium BC, very ancient things, right? And because they're so old, we don't know a whole heck of a lot about them, but, but about every account you read will indicate that there was some sort of a uh, religious significance attached to them. You know, they, were, they were these huge towers designed to connect heaven and earth, right? Sometimes you'll read that there was a temple on the tower or in the tower or beside the tower, right? One of the, one of the ziggurats I read about said that it was designed so that the gods could come down. You know, not necessarily so much that people could come up, but it, would, it was an invitation For the gods to come down and if you think back to what I said earlier about the word Babylon, the gateways are the gateway of the gods, right? So you kind of see this connection here and maybe that's what the Babylonites in our story today had in mind when they built their tower to reach to the heavens. You know, it's interesting when you think about it, you know, God in in chapter nine, when he spoke to Noah's sons, he, he gave them a command. He said, this is my plan. This is the grand scheme. Right, I've destroyed the earth. I've saved you for this. Go fill the earth. Be obedient. Be, in, be, in, be a part of the plan. Right. But, but what did the Babylonites do? They said, you know, how about we come up with our own plan? Right? How about we do our own thing? And we'll build a tower to invite God in to be a part of our plan. Maybe God will come bless our plan with this tower. Right. You know, the problem with that is you know, God is not your co-pilot. <laughs> right, those bumper stickers you see—that's a problem. If that's your idea of God, that's not what He set out to be. Right, His plans are to come first. Our plans are to fit in to those plans. Um, our ambitions, our works, our hopes, our aspirations, our dreams cannot lead us to disobedience and idolatry. Right, like it did here with the Babylonites. You know, God. God commands us to do some, a a few things, right? And you know, just off the, you know, something that comes to mind quickly. Deuteronomy six: love Him, right, with all your heart, soul, and strength. That's a tall order. Um, Deuteronomy four says to obey His commands. It says that throughout the Bible. Jesus says it in the New Testament. Um, Only those who do the will of My Father will enter the kingdom, right? And, and he told he told Noah's sons to fill the earth. That was a command. And, and we as Christians today, we have a similar command. Go and make disciples. Right. It's, 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 the, it's the same basic idea. Right. There's a purpose. There's a plan. We have to fit into that plan. We have to seek him first and he will care for our needs. That's what it says in Matthew chapter six. But the Babylonites were saying, "No, let's 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 take care of ourselves, right? This is a dangerous world. Filling the earth sounds a little scary. How about we hunker down? Let's take care of first things first, and then God will bless us on the back end, right? It'll all turn out okay. You know, sometimes we do the same. You know, we have to be we have to be wrapped up in prayer and in the Word of God, uh, vetting." These ideas that we get against the truth, against God's commands, against his schemes and his plans. You know, we have to be seeking advice from godly people, right? I, I don't know about the sisters, but brothers know how to play the game. You get an idea, you get a harebrained scheme, and you can do one of two things. Think up the guy that's most likely to consider it a good idea and get his advice. or maybe, Or maybe look around for someone to get advice from. Oh, don't see anybody. Just do it. And afterwards say, hey, guess what I did? You know, and hey, you did that. Are you sure that's a good idea? Oh, oh, you don't think that was a good idea? Oh, well, next time I'll know better. You know, no. That's how we end up like the Babylonites. We we, we have so much at our fingertips, so much available to us, so much wisdom. We have the word of God. We have to be in his plans. So in verse five, it says that as a result of all this, God comes down. You know, perhaps the Babylonites were hoping God would come down, but not the way he did. He didn't come down to say, wow, man, you guys are awesome. That's a beautiful city. I'm really proud of what you've done. That's really cool. Thanks for the tower, by the way. I needed that to get down here, right? That's not what he says. He says in verse six, he says, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And this has always been, I have to confess, this is a little, this throws me a little bit. You know, what, what, you know, come on, God, what, what, we don't like people. At Anton, everybody. Um, <laughs> we, uh, no, you want to just come up and take Um, we, uh. You know, what, what's, what's wrong with harmony? What's wrong with people working together? What's wrong with cooperation? You know, doesn't the Bible itself call us to unity? Isn't this what God wants? Why was God upset to see people cooperating and working together? You know, God does call us to unity. And why don't we turn over to Philippians 2 to take a look at the kind of unity that God calls us to. <clears throat> Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about the mindset of Jesus and how he humbled himself. He made himself nothing. He, he, he was in his very nature God, but chose not to use that to his own advantage. This was a very selfless, sacrificial, serving Example that we are to unite around. We unite in that, right? The Babylites were uniting in ambition. They were uniting in their own worldly vision of what good was. But God had already told them what to unite around. Unite around filling the earth. But they were choosing something different. You know, and, and, and you might say, well, hold on, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buy that either. Right? I have a job. My co-workers and I, we unite around the idea of making our company successful, right? I'm on, a, I'm on the volleyball team. Me and my teammates, we're united in wanting to win. Maybe you're in the military and you and your shipmates, your fellow soldiers, you're united around whatever mission you happen to be on. Is that wrong? Is that, does that go against what God is calling us to here? Well, I hope not. Um, but the point is when when whatever worldly ambition or worldly mission or worldly aspiration that you might happen to involve yourself in if it becomes prominent over god then you've got an idolatry issue and i think that's what god saw here that's a problem you know when your job is your security when your job is how you get your self respect if 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 your hope for being popular through your through your prowess at basketball is what drives you in your life, right? That's a problem. If the next promotion is what you are longing for above all else, then you've got a problem. That's a unity, that's an ambition, that's a drive that's that's going to upset God. And I hope he thwarts you for your own good, like he did the Babylonites. You know, the fact of the matter is, our worldly affiliations even if they're good, in and of themselves, have no lasting value outside of God. Um, you know, uh, Brian read from John fifteen five. Jesus said, "I am the vine; you're the branches. Outside of me, you can do nothing." Right. The same author in 1 John two seventeen says, "The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever." You know, in my job. I have the good fortune of, 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 of interacting with a lot of charitable organizations, um, and, uh, and I'm very grateful for that. And I, I, work, I work with a lot of great organizations, and, and I have the, the opportunity to disperse funds uh, to support these things. And I work with you know, folks that are trying to end poverty. In uh, domestic violence, uh, or, or or alleviate it, or, 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 or prevent it, uh, and think these evils of the world. And I, and I think it really fires God up when we engage in those things. And I think that I think that He, I I, I, I think it pleases Him that when we do these things. And I would encourage you to do those things as it as it as it arises for you to do. Amen. But no good works. In the world are going to end the effects of sin. Domestic violence is not going to end because it's born of man's sin. Only God will end that, right? It's God that we have to unify around. It is he that we hope. It doesn't mean we don't do good works. It doesn't mean that we don't have compassion, that we seek to help, that we seek to comfort, that we seek to heal. Of course. But where is our faith? What are we unified around? Who is the final arbiter Of the solution. It has to be God. There can be nothing else. So, what does God do when He comes down and He sees these things? He he scatters them. It says in verse 8 So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And I love that, that last sentence there where it says he scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And if you go back to uh, the end of verse 4, the Babylonites said, we have to build a city. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They got exactly what they were fighting not to get, right? God wins. Surprise, right? God always gets his way. They wanted to make a name for themselves, and they got one. Babel. It's probably not the name that they were looking for, right? You know, and God, God was merciful to them in doing this. You know, the last time people ran afoul of God, he destroyed the earth. Yeah. He, uh, he made a covenant and said he wouldn't do that again. This was his way of honoring the covenant. He scattered them. You know, the Babylonites, they built this city. They banded together. They, they fortified. They, 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 they cooperated and they did all these things and I think what they really wanted more than anything else was independence from God. Yeah. I don't think they wanted to... You know, it doesn't say that they were Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't see that. We don't see that there was all this this uh, awful sin taking place in, within the walls of the city. We're, we're not, we don't read that. You know, we just read that they were trying to be independent. And I don't think they wanted to be separate from God. They built this tower to the heavens. They wanted God around. Mm-hmm. They wanted God to be... In their lives, they wanted a, they wanted God to have His, to have His place, so to speak. But they wanted it on their terms. They wanted independence, and I think that's what goes on. I think that's the American Christian dream. All right. Um, we we meet folks, and uh, we uh, we'll talk to them, and you know, I'll I'll say, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. Yeah. <laughs> what? I didn't ask you how God was doing, <laughs> right? All right, you know, God makes his rain to shine, or rain to fall and sun to shine on both the good and the evil. I know God's good. I know he's blessing you, he blesses everyone. How are you doing? Now, how are you doing in your submission to God, your obedience to God, your sacrifice to God? That's what, that's our end of the bargain. Blessings is God's business, right? I don't want to hear about your blessings, quite frankly. I want to hear how you're doing, right? You know, but I think that keeps a lot of people from becoming Christians. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of people in the world that are self-controlled and they're not their lives aren't necessarily falling apart, but they but they're independent. The, that's how I was. You know, I stayed away from from the body of Christ for a long time, uh, in my independence, in my arrogance, in my insistence on having it my way. I believed in God. I wanted the blessings of God. I wanted to avoid. The alternatives to the blessings of God, most certainly, but I wanted it on my terms, right? And I didn't want to give myself up. I didn't want to lay my life down. And I sure didn't want anybody like you in my life telling me that I might need to change because my life goes against the Word of God. I'll work this out on my own. God and I will figure it out. That's the American dream, that's the American Christian dream. You know, but it's easy for us in the church to kind of look out, or maybe look at our past and say, "Yep, yeah, you're right, Tim. I, I know what you're talking about. My neighbors like that. My coworkers like that. I used to be like that." But you know, what about what, what about what about our independence within the church? What I'm what I'm talking about is this. You know, we we're a, we're a relatively big and and certainly blessed church. All right, when when in, in, inside the church. We have great fellowship. We have amazing friendships. We have so many resources to help us and support us and lift us up. We get help with our marriages. We get help with our kids. Our kids get direct help through teen ministries and, and whatever. These are the amazing blessings of God, right? So Jesus himself tells us in Luke 12, it's God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Amen. That's what this is. But I don't, think it was, I don't think it's ever been on God's mind for us to get caught up in the blessings and forget the mission. Yeah. All right, we are not here just to get lost in the blessings. You know, God calls us to something else. We don't want to scatter. You know, we don't want to we don't want to go out and be uncomfortable. You know, there's it's so warm and cozy here, you know, with with with, with the ease of of the blessed life that God has given me. But you know, the more I read the Bible, the more I see that God is a earth-filling, plan-disrupting, scattering God, wow. right? You comf- are you comfortable? God will fix that, right? <laughs> you know, we see it here. We see it here in chapter 11. He scattered the Babylonites, Right? Not going to settle. We're going we're to fill the earth, right? In, in 2 Kings, you know, you, you fast forward a few centuries and, and you, see, uh, it, it, you see a couple of big scatterings, right? Uh, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, they were caught up in the blessings of the promised land. They fell into sin. They weren't following God. They forgot the commands. They forgot the covenant. And they were exiled at the hands of the Assyrians, never to be brought back together again on earth. Few some time later again in second kings same thing happens to judah exiled right by at the hands of the babylonians you know, in luke 10 Let's go to the New Testament. All right. Luke 10, we got Jesus, right? And, and at this point in chapter 10 of Luke, he's got these 72 disciples following him around, right? And by now, he had already uh, fed the 5,000. He had healed the sick. He had done all these miracles, calmed the storm, right? And these 72 people who had, were following him must have thought, oh, finally, we found Jesus. He's probably the Messiah. Do you hear the things he says? It's so encouraging. I think I'm just going to hang out here at his feet, listen to him talk, eat the free bread, enjoy the fellowship. He says, no. Luke 10, he says, you're going out. You got, you got things to do. We have a mission. You're not just going to stay here and be blessed. Right? He says, I'm going to send you out and I'm going to send you out as lambs among wolves. Wow. Talk about uncomfortable. Right? That's an uncomfortable lamb. Right. And he says, you're not even going to go out as a group. You're going to go out two by two. I'm going to break you down, right? I'm going to take you out of the safety in numbers. And I like to believe that he probably paired everybody up with somebody they didn't want to be paired up with. You know, you figure James and John, brothers, they were a little too close. You know, I want to go out with my brother, John. He said, no, 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 you're going to go out with uh, Simon. Ah, oh, he's, so er- he's so arrogant and he bosses me around. Do I have to go? Yes, go with Simon. It'll be good for you. You know, you know hey, you're going to go with Nathaniel. Oh, he's so sarcastic. He never shuts up. I'm sick of hearing it. He's always tearing me down. No, go with him. This will be good for you. And don't take any luggage. Don't take money. Don't take extra shoes. Go be uncomfortable. You're going to have to rely on me. It's going to deepen your faith. It's going to further the kingdom. The blessings will be here when you're done. And then, of course, in Acts 8, by then, the church was established and thousands and thousands of people being baptized. And surely they thought, we've done it. This is it. But God brings a scattering in the form of persecution, scatters the church all over the earth. And and, and we are the direct uh beneficiaries of that, you know, thank God that he scattered them for our own sake. You know, right now, there's something that you could be doing in your own life, something concrete. I'm not talking about you go in a corner and pray for a week to hear a message from God. It's obvious there's something you could be doing right now in your life to deepen your faith, to further your reliance on God, to deepen your relationship with God. To advance the kingdom. But you don't want to do it because it's too comfortable not to. You know, maybe it's to deal with that sin that you've been hiding. You get comfortable with that. You know, it's going to be very uncomfortable to confess and fight through the repentance. You know, maybe it's stand up for righteousness at your workplace or at school when it's so much easier to just fit in and say nothing. You know, maybe it's uh, get outside yourself, put someone else first. Sacrifice. Consider others better than yourselves. That's very uncomfortable. I really like to just be blessed, if I could. Maybe it's advance the kingdom. And there's lots of ways to advance the kingdom. Maybe you have. Maybe you're a dreamer. You know. And and you know, I'm going to go to the ends of the earth someday, and I'm going to preach to people who've never heard of Christ someday, and that's going to be awesome. And hey, I, I encourage that. That's fantastic. Good for you. But you're probably not going to do that this afternoon. Maybe this afternoon you could just reach out to your neighbor. Invite a coworker to work at uh, the church. You know, read the Bible to your kids. There's so many uncomfortable things you could be doing to advance the kingdom of God. Firing him up to see that you're being obedient to him. You know the fact of the matter is when we choose to stay in our comfort and we idolize convenience and and blessings and 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 success uh, you know, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Those things are so elusive. We never really capture them. But even if we could, it would fall woefully short of what God has in store for us. You know, God is so amazing in the way he, the way he carries us, the way he, the way he longs to, to give the final and most amazing blessing to those that are obedient. You know, the, the Bible tells this story over and over again in so many different ways. And if you'll just bear with me for a little bit, I want to kind of take you through one of these paths. Um, And it starts with the Tower of Babel. We know that at the Tower of Babel, God scattered them. And it said he confused their languages, right? And Jewish tradition says that it would have been 70 languages that they would have been broken into. 70 nations with 70 different languages. Why do they believe that? Because if you look in Genesis 10, you'll see something called the Table of Nations. And it's basically a breakdown of the descendants of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. There's 70 of them. It doesn't come right out and tell you that. You got to count them. It's hard. Uh, But there's 70. You ever do the thing where you count something, you're like, okay, you write it down, then you count it again. It's not the same. You got to count it again. If you count it, it's 70, I promise. 70 nations that God broke them into, 70 different languages, confused. You fast forward to Exodus 24. We're now several hundred years down the road in in the nation of Israel. God has his people in the desert. He's giving them the covenant, right? He's giving them the law that that is how they shall live out the covenant. And, And in the midst of all this law giving, where God is establishing this very holy and amazing relationship with the people of Israel through Moses, he says in 24 verse 1 of Exodus, says, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. There's that 70 again, right? And Jewish tradition says that those 70 elders were there at the giving of the covenant, at the giving of the law, to represent God's desire to reach these 70 scattered nations, right? He was was making his covenant with Israel, but his ultimate plan that he's showing us is to reach the world, right? That he has filled with his scattering and his amazing wisdom, Just for fun, turn to the book of Zephaniah. I just want to see who can find it. With, without, a, without, a, without your computer, Ed, you just have to get out a Bible and turn there. Um, Zephaniah, this would be, again, several centuries in the future from, from God giving the covenant to the people of Israel in Sinai. Zephaniah is preaching to, to the people of Judah about the exile that's coming, about the punishment that is coming. But, but like a lot of prophets he prophesied beyond it as well. And he prophesied towards something that he referred to as the restoration, right? It was commonly prophesied. And in chapter 3 of Zephaniah, verse 9, I know some of you aren't there, but we really can't wait. Um, In verse 9, it says, Zephaniah, God speaking through Zephaniah says, Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. You know, Purify the lips. It probably doesn't mean that he was going to, you know, make them stop telling dirty jokes and, and saying vulgar things. You know, purif- to purify something means to make it the same, right, through and through. Water is just water. If it's pure water, there's nothing in it but water. If you put some food coloring in it, it's no longer pure, right? It's mixed with something. So this, this idea of purifying the lips probably refers to I'm going to make everybody speak the same language, right? There's going to be this purity of speech, he's, he's prophesying this. And, and and people hearing this, if they would have had their ears open, wow, this is, you know, 1,500 years later, and God remembers. He remembers the scattering. He hasn't forgotten us, right? And it says that in verse 10, from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. From, from the ends of the earth, I'm going to gather them in. You know, and it... In Acts chapter 2, the story advances, right? Now it's after Jesus. And in Acts chapter 2, in verse 5, it says that there were people in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven. They gathered to celebrate Pentecost, which, by the way, became sort of a celebration of the giving of the law at Sinai. Remember that? Remember the connection? It's happening here at Pentecost, And God overcomes the language barrier. He sends the apostles out with the Holy Spirit. And they're they're able to speak in a way that all these different people from every nation under the earth can hear them. He broke the language barrier. Right? And the apostles must have thought, this is amazing. Surely this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. This is it. This is it. But the fact of the matter is, even that doesn't compare to what God has in store for us. If you go to Revelations 21, I want to Amen. thank Danny again for, for being there, you know, opening up and, and reading this scripture. <clears throat> but in Revelations 21, starting in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. You know, God will bring the city. We don't need to build it. You know, you want comfort? You want security? You want safety? How about verse four? God will wipe away your tears. Death will go away. You know, we try to solve our own problems. We, ch- we chase after the idols of this world thinking that they're gonna fix things for us, but they don't. God has the fix. God will fix it. God will make it right. It will be glorious. He asks one thing from us in the meantime obedience That's what he wanted from the Babylonites. And that's what he didn't get. You know, faithful obedience to God is a lot more challenging than faithless disobedience. It's a lot easier just to not go there, right? But the, the reward that awaits the obedient is immeasurable. You know, so this week, you know, as we go about our Christian lives, trying to be obedient... Let it not be just out of drudgery and perseverance alone, but let it be out of motivation. Christ's love compels us. Our perfect God with his perfect plan is waiting to solve everything for his obedient people. Thank you very much.